KCSBFM Santa Barbara 91.9. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Lega Sabers, KCSB's Archives Coordinator. This is the show that shares what's happening in and around Isla Vista and the UC Santa Barbara community. On tonight's show, part two of our KCSB's 60th anniversary celebration. The station welcomed alumni over this past weekend for an alumni anniversary celebration. KCSB programmers and executive committee members from as far back as KCSB's inception in 1962 made the trek, and it was exciting to see so many people who love KCSB together in one place. There were station tours, a Zoom reunion, and plenty of mementos on display from KCSB's 60 years as a radio station. Truly exciting. KCSB programmer and student advisor Ted Coe was recognized for more than 20 years of service to KCSB as a career staff member. And our news team was honored for stepping up to the task of keeping our community and entire UCSB student body informed on local COVID-19 developments and news over the past few years. And the highlight of the evening was recognizing our station founder, Bill Harrison, for having the foresight to create the radio station that has become KCSB today. Before our signal on 91.9 FM started booming across Santa Barbara County and south to Camarillo, Harrison and his early KCSB team were broadcasting across campus, starting from in his dorm room in Anacapa Hall. Tonight, you'll hear part two of my interview with Bill Harrison as he shares memories of being a UC Santa Barbara student, working in local radio, including at radio station KTMS AM, and starting KCSB. What really amused me and pleased me was when last year, after, of course, KCSB has increased its power and coverage over these years by a lot, and it won the Santa Barbara Independence Best Radio Station of Santa Barbara. And that was a nice coda to the earlier issues not to upset Santa Barbara by having a student radio station hearable in Santa Barbara. It turned out that it does quite well. Did you keep in touch with the station while you were continuing? No, I didn't. One of the things that happened was while the chancellor was very supportive and and Dr. Joe Saevitz in the College of Engineering was very willing to be our faculty advisor for the for the group. The speech and drama department, of which I was a student, was very unsupportive, basically, uh, or just passive. But one particular faculty member told me, said, you're just wasting your time. It will all die as soon as you leave. You know, you you don't you don't need to be doing this. And this was, of course, I was quite of the opposite opinion. We were going to make this thing last. Mm-hmm. And but it was discouraging to have you know no no real support from the faculty that you would most suspect in the speech department would might find this of interest. Mm-hmm. But we 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 carried on nevertheless. One of the things that I wanted to include too is that in order to I had I had learned somehow that student activities like this often wind up with a lot of people who are very passionate about it and very involved with it, they wind up flunking out of school because they put all their time and attention into that activity and don't go to class or don't do their homework. And, you know, it just, it just doesn't work. So I took on, made a couple of decisions and I have no idea how long they lasted after I left. But the first one was that we've set up daily managers for the station so that there was one person in charge of whatever was going on on Monday and on Tuesday and so on during the week. 
and they could be responsible for you know overseeing the programming that was going on and people and you know what they were doing but we're told to stay out of the station the rest of the week only show up on your day your primary job here is to be a student and that was emphasized a lot with people but i had probably 150 kids working on this thing so there was a tremendous amount of interest a lot of activity and certainly enough people to spread the work around so we didn't have just two or three people who were trying to keep it alive and and you know winding up uh, out of school the other thing that we did because we were not a year-round operation at that time so things would shut down during the summer and i chose to make our positions of news director and music director whatever whatever things we had in there as as positions on the staff that they would start in january and be good for a year and therefore have a transition smooth transition into the fall semester with a staff that already had at least six months experience and knew what they were doing. And so it would be able to pick up and run again relatively easy, as opposed to the usual pattern of starting anew each fall and you know, having people take on new assignments and that sort of thing. It seemed to work for the time I was there. How long that was continued, I have no idea. But that was the purpose, was to make sure we could maintain the continuity, even though we were just a few hours a day and and only during the school year. That's very impressive that you garnered that much interest. You said you had 150 people working at the station. By the I time think so. Left. Who had expressed wow. interest, who had, you know, had some. So we, we even had big, I think they had over in the basket, wherever the gym was where the basketball games were played, they would do a thing in the fall for student activities. And it's kind of like a job fair. People could sign up for clubs and activities and things like that. And so we had a booth over there and tremendous amount of interest in it. People came and we, we couldn't even use really everybody who wanted to be part of it. Do you think the interest was because of the novelty of the station or was it just this raw interest in being heard, being broadcast and just being on air? Well, I'd put those two together. I think for students coming into a university environment, the idea of being on air and involved in a radio station was novelty, mm-hmm. was a novel thing for them. There weren't that many radio stations in, in the early 60s anyway, and there was certainly no internet. There was no none of these other kinds of things. So, so yes, it was a fairly novel kind of opportunity. When we talk about the way that you left the station you obviously left it in very good hands with 150 people, 150 plus people interested. Did you maintain the friendships that you made at the station as you moved on to other endeavors? Or like you said before, were you just not, not monitoring at all from afar, checking in, or are you just doing your own thing? Well, one of the girls that was working on the station later became my wife. So, yes, there was some maintaining there. She later went on to graduate school at Cornell, and I was at Michigan State, and after that, we got married. And it was a good thing I chose to move to finish my undergraduate work because that got me known to the faculty, and I got a teaching assistantship then for the master's program. Mm-hmm. So I was, uh, was a teaching assistantship for, for that was a one-year master's program. And I also worked as a master control director in the television station at, at Michigan State, as well as on their radio station. And all that wound up in my applying for a job at Ithaca College in upstate New York, where my then wife was going to school at Cornell. 
and they had a TV radio apartment at Ithaca. And I walked in having come from this very top school of Michigan State with a teaching assistant under my belt and was hired almost immediately and taught there for four years in TV radio. So one thing led to another. Often, you know, serendipity keeps coming to mind. Just, well, well, let me try that. Let's see what happens. And a whole lot of, I want to go on to what's happened after that, but I've had a very, very good career for all this time. And obviously you've been very successful over the course of your career, but do you have yeah. any regrets about leaving KCSB and UCSB? Oh, no, not really. No, I think it was it was a good time for me. I, I set things in motion. I went off to what for me was a much better schooling situation and also was out of town. So I was, you know, it's my first really moving away from my home community. Knowing that you created such this big cultural thing and right smack dab in the middle of UCSB, I was wondering if you could touch on KCSB's cultural impact on the UCSB slash IV community, including the JFK shooting, the bank burning, its closing, and stuff like that. What impact do you think that the station had on the UCSB community after you sowed the seeds and you left KCSB all set up for its subsequent success over the years? Well, the first thing you mentioned and that I was there for was when the Kennedy assassination happened. Mm -hmm. And at that time we had coverage, I think we had carrier current transmitters in three dorms plus the PA system in the student union. So that's not a lot of coverage, but it's a, it's a significant amount. And at that time, remember this is 62, I think, or 63 when Kennedy was assassinated. I forget which year it was. Um, but there was no, there was no texting. There was no cell phones. There was no internet. There was only standard telephones with a communication system available or broadcast. Mm -hmm. And when the Kennedy assassination happened, we got on that as much as we could. And that included the fact that I was still then working for KTMS and their transmitters are those two towers that are right near the campus out there. They used to have a transmitting programming operation out there a little bit as well. And they had a teletype. And I had a motor scooter at the time. So I would hop on my motor scooter, drive across to the KTMS transmitters, take wire copy off the UPI teletype, run back to the station. And so within a few minutes, we had essentially live copy on the assassination program, information that was coming coming out. And that was also, that was important to the campus because that was the week before final exams for the most part. And so everything was in disarray in regard to schedule of events, of classes, of exams and all of that. And we were able to provide a fair amount of information to the campus community about these changes that were being, being made there because of the response to the assassination. And ever since then, we all, when we would talk to each other and look back on things, we'd say that that was what put us on the map. I think that's when the university took us seriously, when the chancellor was real happy with how we had done things. And when people said, you know, this is significant, this is important. That's the, of those events you mentioned, that's the only one when, that happened when I was still there. Mm -hmm. The, the bank and all that, which I've heard about, talked to people about, happened quite a bit after that. What I've heard and heard some of the recordings and documentaries that people have put together about that 
uh, impressed me a lot of how much people picked up and ran with the energy and the commitment that we'd started with to reach in using phones and however they could to cover things in Isla Vista when everything was going crazy over there. Was that where you envisioned KCSB being at that point in time in terms of interaction with the community and cultural significance? I don't know that I imagine anything like that. That, that, was, that reminds me of another. No, I didn't, I didn't imagine that happening. But when I knew it happened, I said, well, that fits. And of course, Isla Vista being is essentially the extension of the campus in so many ways that things going on there would be involved in what the radio station was doing. What I have said, and we'll back up and say here, is people talk about the 60s. For the most part, they're thinking about the later 60s. They're thinking about the, the reactions that went on to Vietnam and to many other things that were going on. The early 60s, when the station first started, were still a very you know, mild, predictable, pleasant kind of time that I describe as sort of extension of the Eisenhower years. Mm-hmm. My, my growing up schooling was all in the 50s. And you know, things were pretty mellow and, and going along pretty well at that point. And that continued on into 64, 65, I think, before other things start to happen that people now attribute to being the 60s. And the bank burning and all that was when that was really starting. Just to summarize the 60s, are this era that people tend to group together with all these radical events that happened in Isla Vista is what you were saying? Yeah, and the, and the whole country. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see that. When I'm paging through Ivy history, there's a lot of stuff happening between 1960 and 1975-ish, including the JFK shooting, the bank burning, and stuff like that. In terms of interaction with other radio stations. I know that you mentioned UCLA and getting familiar with their station and their their AM radio waves, but I wanted to know how you established those connections during the time that you were there and also later on in your life with efforts regarding UCRN, PCRN, and just ideas to make KCSB something that is bigger than, than its extent on campus? Well, we did two things while I was still there that were along those lines. We put together, uh, I think it was called Collegiate Broadcasters Conference or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we, we teamed up with Pomona College and their FM station and staff at that time. One of our staff members at KCSP had a brother who was the manager of the student radio station at Pomona College. And through that personal connection, we talked about how it would be, and we knew other campuses were interested in in having radio or did have it and wanted to do more with it. And so we established this weekend conference at Pomona College. We put together the program content uh, Pomona College actually hosted the physical facilities of, of it on their campus. And we had two people I can remember we brought in. One, Bob Crane, was then a radio announcer on, I believe it was KNX or KFI, one of those two in Los Angeles. And he was pretty well known, certainly as a disc jockey at that point. He, did, he hadn't become known on television as much as he was later. But he's a funny guy and... Uh, my roommate and I, who was also working at the station, Shelly Berkovich, we drove to LA, 
we went to KNX and we just showed up in his office and asked him if he would come and talk at our student uh, radio station conference at Pomona College. And he said, sure. So he did. And we had him there. We also had a person whose name I cannot remember, who was one of the leading people in the Pacifica station in Los Angeles. And he came and also spoke to the students at this conference. And then we had other kinds of breakouts with people just talking about their own plans. And I don't, I don't remember all the other details, but those were the key things. Now, somewhere in there also, we started the, the Cal Student Radio Network. And at that time, the telephone system, my dad worked for the phone company and I, I grew up knowing this. All the phone equipment was owned by the phone company. Nobody took anything apart or messed with anything. But we also knew that the university had two tie lines that could be dialed up to connect between the campuses, but they shut them down at night. So in some way we managed to, number one, take our telephones apart so that we could feed programming and, and hear programming through the telephone lines and got that hooked into the tie lines to the other campuses. And we had, I don't remember how many times we did this and it may not have been very many, but we had, uh, network feeds between Stanford and Cal and Pomona. And I think UC San Diego had something going uh, and, and maybe some others, but we would do an hour or so of exchange programming on the system using these uh, telephone company tie lines with nobody's permission. We just did it. That was how outrageously illegal we were. We simply took... <laughs> Clip, clip weird, uh, wires onto the telephone leads and, and went about our way of doing things. That's really cool. Do you think you... So those were two, those were two things that, that involved interacting with other, other campuses. Oh, the third thing was we also had somebody on our staff whose father was the administrator of a national program for collegiate broadcasters. And I can't remember the name of it. I do know that they were headquartered in Pennsylvania somewhere. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, I think. And I don't recall her name, but she contacted her father. And somehow, I think it was through that, I got invited to attend in New York a collegiate radio broadcasters conference that was put on for about three days. And there were students there from all over the country involved in, in radio stations similar to what we were doing. And I got to, that was the first time I've flown on a commercial airline plane from uh, Los Angeles to uh, New York. Mm -hmm. And um, I had an uncle who lived in New York who uh, took me around and toured me and so on as well. So it was, it was a fun trip. I don't remember what I learned, but what I do know is that I had one of the very earliest portable uh, audio tape recorders. And I got, and Buddy Hackett was speaking at this conference. And I got Buddy Hackett to record a promo for KCSB. And I have no idea what happened to it or where it is. It may still be in the archive somewhere. <laughs> but that was one of the one of the fun things I did. So Buddy Hackett did a, a piece for KCSP at one time. I'll have to look for that. The archives collection we have here is pretty intimidating. I mean, 60 years of all types of mini discs and CDs and open reels. It's tough to go through for sure. I'll, I'll bet. So what measures did you implement 
at KCSB to make sure that it would sustain? Because I know that you said that it got a lot of criticism that once you left, once everybody graduated, KCSB would no longer exist. So what were you doing to prove them wrong? I think we were real clear that what, what our role was supposed to be, what our purpose was, in terms of being information center for the campus. Mm-hmm. And a sense of responsibility, I had had enough a connection or awareness of FCC and broadcasting protocols and so on that I, I, you know, I had been in an environment where the station and what it did and how it belonged to the community, what its responsibilities were in terms of being able to be relicensed every three years mm-hmm. uh, that I was, was fairly familiar with. And somehow it was just in me to make something that would work and last and have a, have a purpose and people could belong to it and feel good about it and not just be run of the mill, do whatever you want, carte blanche, you know, where people didn't have a sense of a larger responsibility. And looking at the station today, was this, was this where you envisioned it being in terms of creating this larger responsibility and everybody in their respective roles putting in the effort that it takes to run am, a radio station? I am totally blown away with what has become KCSBFM. When I look at the, well, number one, the fact that that not only did it get its FM license, but then it wound up increasing power. It's now covering three counties, mm-hmm. 24-7. I listen to it streaming, you know, once in a while, as anybody in the world can now. I mean, that was totally unimaginable at that time. Just to having it, having it last and be, in, be an existing entity for the campus was about the most I could have possibly imagined. But when I look at the, at the news operation, when I look at the emails that go out about the COVID stuff that, that you all have been sending out mm-hmm. a couple of times a week, programs and, and uh, conferences that are sponsored in town, things that have been done at the Lobero Theater that, that KCSB had something to do with making happen. That's all way beyond anything I imagined that we could become. When you heard about the movement of the transmitter to broadcast peak and 24-hour programming where you were you like wow this is this is my brainchild and it's it's progressed to this incredible level i i imagine you would be super proud oh yeah definitely (laughs) and it certainly wasn't anything i had imagined would would go that far i had worked one of my jobs (laughs) while i was going to school was working for a company called musicraft which did all the music distribution for the counties Mm -hmm. for all three counties actually and they were sending out their signal on um, a special subcarrier of another FM station that had its transmitter up on TV Peak. And so I was aware that FM stations were broadcasting from TV Peak, but the idea that KCSB would ever be up there never occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must be absolutely wild seeing, seeing this whole station that you created. Yeah. 60 years from its inception and it's become this huge thing and and having a whole team and a team of programmers and reporters could you touch on kcsb news and the beginning of that on the news i don't recall that we we did a whole lot probably as i say as i said earlier the uh, kennedy assassination put us into that news reporting urgent kind of this is this people need to know about sort of thing Probably up to then, news that would come from there would have been just local campus stuff, activities that were going on, who won the who won the game that week, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. 
because I know that the station began as a way to send out PSAs regarding campus activities and stuff like that. So that's, I feel like that is in and of itself a microcosm of the KCSB news that we do have today. So yeah. creating a, a whole entire KCSB news department, was that, was that something that you had envisioned initially? No, I think we probably had a news a news director person who would just make sure that it happened, but uh, the, that there would be a whole department and that it would have its own substructure and mm -hmm. all the things that are that are going on. That was probably beyond what I could imagine. I think just making it happen and keeping it going at the time was, you know, really on my mind. One thing I've noticed about myself is that whenever I'm going clear back to school, when I was in a job. And I've always had jobs I enjoyed, number one. Mm -hmm. uh, and I could not imagine not being doing that job forever. It was just what was going on then was what my life was. And so what was going on then with KCSB was getting the things handled with that, that little tiny bit of space that we got there behind the student union. I don't know if you've ever looked at that or not. But if you go around, there's a fairly long building that's well, I don't know if it's still there. It was there 10 years ago when I came for the 50th reunion. And you walk around the back of the building and there's, it's just storerooms and stuff like that. And there's one place where it's got a real small window. And that was the window into our control room that we had at that time. But we had one room we were given, we divided it into two. And I mean, we literally, we, we were the carpenters, we did the, the, all the work. And the initial soundproofing for the control room was egg cartons. I'm looking behind you there. You have that nice stuff up on the wall to absorb sound and vibration. Well, we, we didn't have any budget for that sort of thing, but somehow a couple of guys and I, and I forget who it was, but we went over to the dining common loading dock one night after everything was closed down and found they had, the dining commons got delivery of eggs in these big boxes that had 30 eggs per tray. And they had these things that look a lot like that stuff on the wall behind you to, to put all the eggs in and put them in a box. And then they would, when that was all empty, they put them back out on the loading dock to be trashed. Well, we went over and lifted uh, a whole lot of egg cartons, dividers, and stapled them to the walls in our control room. And that became our soundproofing. Doing things like that, hooking, hooking up wires to the phone so we could do the Alcal network. Um, those were the things we did. And, and of course, the guys that scrambled around through the tunnels, they figured out ways to get into the utility tunnels under the dorms to string our wires uh, for take our signal to the transmitters in the different dorms. That was all kind of midnight requisitioning sort of stuff. They got, they went and figured out how to get in and I don't know how they did. I didn't want to know. <laughs> just, just go do it. Yeah, as long as they did it, that's all that matters. <laughs> they got it done. Mm-hmm. And obviously it worked. We also had support. I, sh I should mention that Joe Bennis was the manager of KTMS. And he was one of my people who supported me in lots of ways, both with the job there and in other kinds of ways. And he came out and gave talks to our staff a couple of times about the, the responsibilities and the opportunities of broadcasting. I had known about Jack Mosley of Mosley Associates mm -hmm. through my work in, in broadcasting in Santa Barbara, I become aware of him. And he's the fellow who, his company produced various technologies that related to broadcasting, monitoring, and so on. And he came up with the first FM transmitter that he gifted to KCSB when the time came when they finally got licensed. So there was a lot of 
there was community support through me in, in large part, but also because it was the university, there were people who were certainly willing to step up and help out. So it just all around, you know, I, I used the word serendipity early on. It seems whenever we showed up, whenever we asked the question, things fell into place in ways that we wouldn't necessarily have predicted. And I'm, I'm really excited to meet you in person, Mr. Harrison. And thank you so much for interviewing with me today. It was a pleasure speaking to you. You've been listening to my interview with KCSB founder Bill Harrison, who started the radio station that became KCSB-FM in his dorm room in Anacapa Hall 60 years ago. You can listen to a replay of the entire interview at our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash KCSB-FM. That's soundcloud.com slash KCSB-FM. Bill Harrison was a featured guest at KCSB's 60th anniversary alumni reunion last weekend, which brought together over 50 current and former radio station staff members and on-air programmers. It was a memorable event. This is Inside Isla Vista. Thanks for tuning in Wednesdays at 5 p.m. to find out what's happening in and around Isla Vista. I'm Lega Sapers, Archives Coordinator for KCSB-FM. Our theme music is Siesta by Johnson. This is 91.9 KCSB 